Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we're learning about water so we can save water and we do not scale up our systems. Hello, everybody. Trace Blackmore here, your host for Scaling Up H2O. And folks, you know we do a great job as water treatment professionals to try to conserve water as much as we possibly can. We look at that probably because it is expensive to use excessive amounts of water. And our job is to make sure that whatever systems that we are treating, we are making sure that that customer is running those systems as efficiently as they possibly can. If we are using needless amounts of water, that means we are not being efficient. But folks, let's face it, not everybody on the planet has access to clean drinking water. I read a statistic that said one in 10 people do not have clean drinking water. I know in developed countries, this is out of sight and out of mind. But we are very fortunate to live in areas that have clean drinking water sources, and we are using water in a way that has never been used before and in so many ways that eventually the population and the ways we are using water, there just simply is not going to be enough to go around, and we already have shortages in certain places on this planet. Us being in the industrial water treatment industry, we have such a huge impact on what we can do to conserve this vital resource. So today's guest is Kathy Wynn of the Cobb County Water Systems. Now, Cobb County is located in the Atlanta metropolitan area. And she goes around and she tries to educate people on what they can do to save water. And when she talks with most audiences, she's talking with people in their household. Now, us in the Scaling Up Nation, we all have homes that we can apply this logic to as well, but we can do so much more because we're dealing with water in industrial ways, and there's so much we can do to conserve this resource. Scaling Up Nation, I hope you enjoy my interview with Kathy Wynn. My lab partner today is Kathy Wynn of the Cobb County Water System. How are you today, Kathy? I'm great. Trace, how are you? I am doing wonderful. And I want to thank you so much for coming on Scaling Up. Kathy, what is your day-to-day like? So my day-to-day, I'm a water resource manager for Cobb County Water System. So for us, um, it's kind of an unusual job because we are a 100% purchase system. So we purchase from Cobb County Marietta Water Authority. They're the uh, second largest water purveyor in the state of Georgia. And we serve about 700,000 residents, uh, 176,000 accounts with public water, with uh, sewer service, and also with stormwater services. And so it's kind of my job to do a couple of things. One, I manage and actually created the water efficiency program for Cobb County so that we can manage our demand. And then I handle all of our drinking water quality uh, concerns, all of our water supply issues. I represent the county interests in the tri-state water wars and other water-related issues with our source water and our drinking water. Kathy, there are many areas in the world that don't have clean drinking water. 
Of course, we here in the United States, a lot of us don't think about where the water comes from when we turn on the faucet. We just assume that it's going to be there. But I'm willing to bet that you have statistics that are going to tell us that it's not going to be there for that much longer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you just look globally right at water, we always tell kids when we're out speaking to them, right, we'll ask them how much of the world is covered in water. They're, you know, pretty good, 70%. They understand that statistic. But when you start talking to them about the availability of fresh water and accessing that water, and you get them down to the fact that there's less really than 0.003% of the water on earth that's fresh and easily available. Forget that it's treated to the level where you can drink it. Um, on a global scale, there's that going on. On a local scale for everyone, you're starting to see the real changes in water availability being caused by shifts in our climate, right? We're getting some areas of the country might be getting more rainfall, but we're getting it very rapidly in very concentrated, short bursts, which is terrible for our area because we have Georgia red clay, which is pretty much as permeable as cement unless you get a really slow, steady rainfall. So we're not seeing the recharge levels that we used to in our rivers and lakes. And we're seeing our evapotranspiration rate, meaning the need for the plant demand of that water to be increasing because of the longer, hotter, dry spells. So we're starting to see our recharge happening at maybe 50% of what it was happening 20 years ago, yet our region is a rapidly growing region. Metropolitan Atlanta has added over a million people in the last 10 years. So that's not good math. So what is the county, what is the city plan to do to accommodate all those people? The area has a pretty aggressive water conservation mandates, actually, that come uh, to all the 15 counties in metropolitan Atlanta. I will say Cobb has taken a, a pretty aggressive stance on that. Back in 2005, we were the first utility in metro Atlanta to dedicate a full-time staff person to water efficiency. And we, we took that charge pretty seriously. Our annual average daily demand in 2005, when we started considering the water efficiency program, was 65 million gallons a day. Now we're 13 years down the line with that program, and our annual average daily demand, despite adding 100,000 customers in Cobb over that time, is down to 56 million gallons a day. Kathy, you mentioned there's such a small percentage of water that's readily available to us, fresh water, that is. We have the technology, we have infrastructure. So I'm sure there's some listeners out there saying, well, why don't we just start desalinating? Why don't we start doing some of these other things that we can do with water to handle the demand? Sure. And I think you're going to see more of that. You already are seeing more of that. There are um, coastal areas that are looking at that. But that climate issue is twofold, right? So the coastal areas looking at that are also coastal areas that are in danger due to you know, potential rising sea levels. The other issue is just because we can do something, should we be doing it? Here's my concern about rampant desal, right? We have no idea 
what the species impacts will be on large scale desal of our oceans, right? So we have, they're already warming, and now we're talking about removing large quantities of water. The other problem is there is a byproduct to desal, and it is a highly concentrated brine. Where are we going to dispose of that? It's about as wanted as nuclear waste because it is very toxic and very dangerous. You can't just dump that back into the ocean. So it doesn't come without its cost. Now it is, it has always historically been extremely expensive because of energy costs associated with desal. You're starting to see that come more on a parity with other solutions like potable reuse but it still lags behind, you know, source water or groundwater where you're just taking it from a river or a lake. But I'm more concerned about the ramifications. It has historically sadly been uh, the case that we normally do things and then we look back and go, oh yeah, that probably caused that. Still in America, the average use per person per day is around 100 gallons a day of water. So with that, is that a, a reasonable amount of water or is that something that we all need to figure out how we can decrease? I think that we can all figure out how to decrease that number. Um, if you look at EPA, they're setting um, a standard for efficient water use of 45 gallons per person per day. So most of the listeners of Scaling Up H2O are dealing with industrial water. So water used to transport heat from one area to the other or used in some sort of process. What are some of the things that we should be looking at that can really help us conserve water? Yeah, absolutely. Because this is where we're seeing a shift. You know, our, our region, my particular service area has always been a sort of a bedroom community, but we're making a shift to more commercial and industrial users in our service area. And we're really starting to see it impact our water use and you guys are really, I think you're the potential leaders for all of the residential customers. So you have so many options. You can take a look at your processes, right? Typically for every wet process, there is a dry equivalent. And I'm not saying it doesn't come with a cost, but when you're looking at upgrades, what is going to be vital for your listeners is to realize that water where it was previously an afterthought because it's one of the cheaper utilities, you need to start thinking about, okay, if I have these processes and I can do dry cooling or I can do dry washing of bottles, I may need to enfold that into my cost for my upgrade because it might not be the cost of water, it might be the availability of that water. And people maintaining the heating and cooling systems Gone are the days where you just buy the chemicals and you just dump the water from the cooling tower. We've got to start increasing cycles of concentration. We've got to start looking at these new technologies that are coming on board to reduce the total solids so that you can recycle more of that water. Get engineers in, have them evaluate and meter your condensate line, see where that kind of use could be brought back in and used in some other process. You got to start looking whole life cycle of that water. There's no more time to just be dumping that, uh, that reject water down the drain. 
On this show, we talk a lot about the United States Green Building Council and also LEED, and LEED has done a lot to try to promote that. Has your department had any workings with LEED? Yeah, so we participate on several green building advisory councils. So right now, most recently, we were working with Green Globes, and we always work with EPA WaterSense on their uh, initiatives. And we have worked with the HERS folks at ResNet on the new water rating system for homes. With LEED, it's been a little bit challenging. Uh, Our governor issued a call for the state that said we were not allowed to use LEED anymore in the state of Georgia. So um, though I think they do a great job and there is still an Atlanta chapter of the USGBC, we have been working with other green building initiatives right now. Well, Kathy, it's my hope that our listeners are already doing their jobs to conserve the water that they're treating professionally, but I do think we might be missing the boat of things that we can do in our homes and in our offices that can conserve water. So what are some of the tips that you can give our listeners around that? Sure. So some of the easiest and the most assured things you can do are just change out your older fixtures. So if your business or your home was built before 1992, there's potential right there to just go and purchase new toilets, new aerators, new shower heads, new faucets that are right out of the gate gonna save you water. And you know that's guaranteed saving. So it's not behavioral dependent. I do like behavioral change, but it isn't as reliable as changing out a toilet that used to use five gallons per flush that now uses 1.28. That is a hardwired savings. The same thing's going to happen with a shower head and an aerator. And you're so fortunate today with the EPA WaterSense program, you now just have to look for that EPA WaterSense label, which is the water equivalent to Energy Star. And you know that it's going to save 20% over other market product. And it's been independently third-party tested for performance. So that's the first thing I would do. The next thing and where I think folks really, where the meat of the savings is, but also all the challenges, is in outdoor water use. So everybody wants their business outside to look beautiful, to have these beautiful gardens and this beautiful grass, at least here in Atlanta. (laughs) And everybody wants that at home, but that comes at a real water cost and people just don't understand irrigation. And the technology for irrigation has been so wild west for so long that people just put in really bad systems. They've been done by people who aren't licensed and don't really understand the technology themselves. So there is a lot of opportunity there by changing out heads. Get rid of spray heads where you see them misting off like that V. Replace them with targeted rotator heads on your sprinkler system. That is a really affordable way to retrofit your sprinkler system outside. Just change them. Stop planting grass if you're a business inside the medians in your parking lots. Grass and trees, they aren't meant to grow there. Use something like lava rock or river stone, something like that, but don't plant live there. It's impossible to water those efficiently at that time. And you're also going to kill a tree once it comes to maturity. It's not going to be able to branch out and grow the way it needs to. It'll strangle itself. So there's all these little options. Get a water sense labeled 
irrigation controller that takes real life weather data and actually reads it back to your system so that it can set exactly how much you need to water instead of you just guessing how much you think it needs. I got to tell you, this morning, it rained a little bit here in Atlanta, and I went by a neighborhood that was irrigating as the rain was falling. And that happens all the time. Yep. Happens all the time. Well, Kathy, let me ask you this. I I know that there are listeners out there that are saying, yeah, I know there's low-flow shower heads. I know there's low-flow toilets, but they don't work as good as the stuff that really puts all that water out there. So how do we change their minds about that? Yeah, first thing is stop calling them low flow. Um, So I use the word high efficiency because that's really what they are. They were low flow back in the day. That that is very true. They put a flow restrictor in there and they said, this is what we're going to do, right? Or they shortened up the tank in the toilet and they said, yep, it's going to flush. But now everything is high efficiency. So they've actually changed the whole mechanism. So let's talk about shower heads. It's kind of my pet peeve. People go, I don't want to run around the shower to get wet. Um, you, they now take shower heads and it adds air to the water so that you get the equivalent amount of pressure for a fraction of the volume of water. It's no longer putting a restrictor in there. It's actually taking and mixing air into the water through the mechanism of the shower head. And so you maintain the pressure. You still get that sensation, but you're using a fraction of the water. Well, Kathy, you, of course, work for the municipality, and I'm sure people have blamed you for sending out, or in your case, buying and sending out water that's not of the best quality. And of course, we all know Atlanta has great drinking water. So when a customer calls about that, somebody has a complaint about water quality, what do you guys do with that? Yeah, we. so first of all, we take that really seriously because we're providing an essential life resource. So we listen to the customer. We ask some questions. You know, first we want to see, are we getting, are we, the water system, getting numerous complaints that are similar and in similar geographic location? Because then that helps us say, oh, this could be an issue with us. And then we start troubleshooting from our wholesaler and our distribution system. But most of the time when I start talking to customers, if we haven't gotten other complaints, If we're not seeing a problem and we've had a contact with our wholesaler, 99% of the time, the issue is a private plumbing issue. And there's a lot of things in the home that can actually affect the drinking water quality once it goes through our meter and into that private plumbing system. So then I try to help customers troubleshoot what might be going on at home. What are some examples of some things that could cause bad water quality in the home or office? Sure. So sometimes a customer will call and say, oh, my God, my water, it smells so bad when it comes out of the pipe. It smells like rotten eggs or it smells like a chemical. Most of the time I'll talk to that customer and I'll say, have you done any work around your home recently? Have you painted anything? Have you gotten new carpet? Have you done anything like that? And they'll say, well, yeah. Well, what people don't realize is that water will react with those aerosolized VOCs coming off a carpet and paint, and it will cause that smell in their water. Um, So that's a common one that we get. Another common one we get is a blue cast to their water. That is generally an issue with copper. So it could mean that their copper pipes 
have buildup and are beginning to break down. So it can be a, an alert to plumbing. Another thing we hear a lot is there's white specks in my water. That is typically two things. Uh, one, if they're, I always tell them, can, do they break up in your hand? If they break up in their hand, that's generally a calcium deposit. And so the simplest way for people to treat those is to remove their aerators on their sinks and shower heads and just use a little toothbrush and just brush them out. It just, calcium is in our drinking water. And it just means that it has accumulated there behind the aerator. They don't want to clean it out. Aerators are cheaper. Cobb Water gives out free aerators to our customers um, that are high efficient. And we'll send those to the uh, customer. So that's a simple fix. If the white material doesn't break down, their most likely culprit is that their water heater is actually about to go and that if that is their dip tube breaking down inside the water, particularly if they only see that in the hot water. So those are a few things that we see. Um, we do tell customers, you know, always a best practice, right? You drink and you cook with cold water because anything that might be breaking down inside your pipes, anything that you would worry about would be exponentially worse in hot water. So you can bathe in hot water, shower in hot water, but for the potable water, we always say use cold water. And I always say if you've been away from the home for a period of time, flush your pipe before you start to use that water. Just turn it on, let it run a little bit, and just clear it and get some fresh water in there. Because when water sits, its chlorine dissipates. So that means it's more likely that it could collect bacteria, or something like that in the water. So it's just a best practice safety procedure. Kathy, we're hearing more and more about Legionella and, of course, Ashray 188, which is uh, up in New York, demanding that buildings do certain things to control the spread of Legionellosis. What are the local municipalities doing about that? So that is a good question. So as you know, this hasn't been as big an issue in Atlanta, but we have uh, been discussing it. We have not made the ASHRAE standard. We are not actively enforcing any additional reporting requirements or BMPs on cooling tower maintenance at this time. It is something that we pay attention to, but we also feel that at this time, our, at least from Cobb's standpoint, our industrial customers, our customers maintaining cooling towers are following best practices and they're not having an issue with legionosis at this time. So as a person who treats cooling towers, what advice could you give to me to make sure I'm doing the best practices according to what you've seen? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the same things we talked about with the efficiency, right? You need to be working hand in glove with your chemical supplier, right? You need to be doing all the appropriate testing that's required and making sure you're following your chemical and your maintenance schedule that you already have in place. You can't ignore those things. You also need to make sure, I do think that it's of value to make sure that you're metering and testing that water in the cooling tower on a regular basis. And if you need to, 
bring an engineer in, have them review the system and make sure that you've got a system that is both efficient and potentially safe and that you don't have any water that's sitting there, any leaks where you're concerned about them aerosolizing and causing problems. It's common sense. We find that our industrial and commercial customers, they're the ones we can give a little leeway to in terms of even when gray water rules passed here in Georgia, we, Cobb immediately said we won't let residential customers put in gray water systems, but we will let our commercial and industrial customers because it's been our experience that those professionals really take the extra step. They follow their protocols. They do what they need to do in order to maintain their systems, whereas we don't find that as much with residential customers. It becomes burdensome and technical, and they lose themselves in those kind of maintenance issues. Kathy, you recommend that the industrial clients test for Legionella? Yes. So let's just be honest. From a self-preservation standpoint, I would test for Legionella. Even if they're doing everything they're supposed to do, something can happen and yet they will be covered by having that test and they will also be forewarned, right? What if something is going on, even if you are practicing all of your BMPs? What if one of your chemicals turns out to be ineffective? Yeah, without a test, the only way you know is when there's an incident and nobody wants that. Exactly. That's not the ideal time to find that out. I mean, we are the same water. We, in drinking water, we feel the same way, right? You, there are tests that we have to do by law, but we, tat, our wholesaler and Cobb Water within the distribution system, do additional tests we're not required to do because it's a standard for water with, that we're trying to achieve here. This is an essential life need, so we're going to go the extra step. I think the industrial user and steward of that water, it's the same kind of ethic. Well, Kathy, this has been great. You've definitely changed a lot of minds. We don't say low flow anymore. We say high efficiency. And hopefully that paradigm will allow us to save lots and lots of gallons in our homes and businesses. But let's say there's somebody that's just tuning in right now. What's the one thing that you want to make sure that they get from this podcast? That having clean water and a sufficient supply of it is a partnership between us and them. So if you do your part and you maintain your home plumbing system and you are as efficient with that water as possible, then we'll do our part to make sure we protect your supply and make sure the water we deliver to you is safe. Awesome. Kathy, thanks so much for coming on Scaling Up H2O. Thank you, Trace. I really appreciate it. Kathy, thanks so much for coming on Scaling Up H2O. I know a lot of us have heard a similar message to this before. Some of us have might not ever heard it before. My hope is that we all take at least something and do something with it. What is the one small thing that we can put into action that we learned or we were reminded of today that we're going to go back to our offices or we're going to go back to our homes and we are going to be part of the solution. And folks, this stuff actually pays you back because as you're using less, you're paying for less. So there is a definite ROI on this. 
when we talk about your cooling and heating systems that use water, you all know that my passion is water treatment. And I truly believe that we were the original green industry before anybody was talking about being green. Water has been cheap for so long, and a lot of people in past days would just use once-through systems. Water would come in, it would transfer its heat, and it would just go down the drain or spill down the river or wherever it was going, and nobody really cared about it. Well, then somebody came by and said, hey, we can use that water more responsibly, more cheaply, and make sure that we're not using any more water than we need to. And that person was a water treater. They said that we can concentrate up this water to make the system more efficient, and then we know how to maximize the cycles of concentration, or my preferred term, the concentration ratio, so we can get the most mileage out of that water before it's released. And folks, there's even things that we can do when we release that water. So I'm hoping that the Scaling Up Nation will take a moment and realize how valuable water is as a resource. And we as industrial water treaters have so much that we can do to make sure that we are conserving this valuable resource as much as we possibly can. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed this water-saving issue of scaling up H2O. Of course, without water, we would not have our job. I would not have this podcast, and you would not be listening to me in your car. So think about how awesome water is, and think about what you are going to do to get the most mileage out of your accounts and how you're going to conserve your use of this resource. Folks, I can't wait to come to you next week on Scaling up H2O.